Cult Podcast about the New Jedi Order. I'm your host, Rocky, and with me are my co-hosts, Megan and Bria. This month, we'll be talking about Force Heretic 3 Reunion by Sean Williams and Shane Dix, in which we meet a sentient planet. Tahiri meets her evil twin, and this book's new species really needs to buy a vowel. So, <laughs> grab your villain, tune in, and enjoy the show. I didn't read the intro until you were reading it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And look, at least I didn't say, and witty intro goes here. I once turned in a college paper with a title that said title goes here. Yeah. <laughs> at least like... you didn't make, like, put swear words in the title. I don't think I ever did that. This is a good start because <laughs> I want you to know that when I did the countdown, I wasn't actually expecting you to start. So... We're just, we're just doing great today. Well, <laughs> we're fine. That's... Everyone's fine. Who are you? <laughs> and oh yeah, right. Important disclaimer. As a reminder, here on the Bongcast, we don't talk about spoilers for future books in the series, no matter how many times we have to tell Rocky to shut up and threaten her with a spoiler bat. But we will go through today's book pretty thoroughly. So if you haven't read it yet, what are you doing here? Go read the book. See you later. Bye. <laughs> I like that you talked about yourself in the third person. <laughs> I and, also like your hard stance. Today, so here we go. <laughs> like the hard stance on having to read the book when I was in the slack the other day going, you don't have to read them. No, you no. Just no, listen. No. That's you true. Really. Wait, can I do, I'm going to do blatant self-promotion for us from the slack. Because Tag Pilot Dandy said the podcast is still hilarious, thoughtful, and covers all the major points. So... What other review could you possibly want, guys? Thanks. Hey, thank you. <laughs> Except they're probably already listening to the podcast. All of never mind. Um <laughs> Yeah. Do I need to read the thing? Yes, yes, you do. I glanced at it and I feel like it was surprisingly good. Okay, so I want you to know I was very, very good because I had this book with me at a book signing, which was a great book signing, except it was a very popular author, and it took from when the talk ended at 8. I didn't leave the store until 10.10. And I almost turned the book over and read the back of it. And then I went, no, I must preserve the mystery. <laughs> and yeah. We appreciate this. I also, I, just... I gotta say, this cover is terrible. I said it before, and I said it again. I hate this cover in the paperback. But it to be Danny. It's supposed not... to be, but this like uh, the, the art. The art <laughs> oh, is boy. a little interesting in this trilogy. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Let's do this. The Jedi move one step closer to saving the embattled galaxy, only to confront a formidable wall of resistance. The harrowing search for Zonima Sakat is finally over for Luke Skywalker, Jason Solo, and the others aboard the Jade Shadow. But Joy turns to alarm when the living planet sends a defiant message. It refuses to follow them back to a galaxy full of war, exploitation, and misery. And... Duh. <laughs> While Luke works feverishly to persuade the elusive planet to reconsider, the Yuzen Vong launch a full-scale attack aimed at the heart of the New Alliance. Sent to defend a major communication space, Han and Leia find themselves hopelessly outnumbered and outgunned and outmanned. Um, oh, wait, that's Hamilton. Uh, <laughs> reinforcements are just too far away to help where, before everything is destroyed. So the courageous pair must now fight an unrelenting battle against staggering odds. Whether they actually survive is another matter. Dot, 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 dot. <laughs> unrelenting battle against staggering odds. Isn't that this whole series? Yeah, I mean, they're not wrong. Yeah. Also, I'm kind of annoyed that, like, we always got to talk about Jason, like, but not Jaina. She doesn't ever get the mentions on the back of these things. That's not fair. I'm just going to keep on complaining about that because Jaina and Tahiri both deserve better. And I feel like my Tahiri deserves better soapbox did kind of at least a little bit get soothed in this book, at least for me. <sighs> she definitely deserved a spot on the back cover because she got more development in this book than in the yes. previous one. Yes. <sighs> so I mean, low bar, but yeah. 
Yeah. True. Yeah. I mean, this whole trilogy seems to have been kind of a low low point for all of us here. There are a couple reasons why I liked this book better than the others. And the first of those is because all of the motivations of the characters are a little clearer. You have Luke and Jason on Zanamasika. You have... Han, Leia, Jaina, Jag on Sfandia trying to find a relay base. And you have Naminor trying to hold down his the little power he has as it slowly chipped away. So it was already a clearer book and kind of the stakes were clearer. I also like that it opens with Han playing like imaginary number chess against a variety of aliens it's instantly weird um the phrase i believe it was nether mandibles is used in this book i'm which... sorry what <laughs> mm-hmm. um, um mm-hmm. would you um, like me to pronounce it again yes carefully? please please do <laughs> nether mandibles <laughs> Please tell me that's what I think it is. I have one image for what I think it is. It's from the Nether regions, right? Yes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh no! So, uh, which of our listeners is bringing us the brain bleach? Thank God you didn't say fan art. I was gonna scream. No. In fact, this is a request for no fan art. Right? (laughs) Better than Bakura. Eh, I'm making a balancing gesture. Is it, though? Thor voice. (laughs) Is it? (laughs) I definitely need a little brain bleach after this. You know, I really wasn't expecting, of all people, Megan to bring up (laughs) nether mandibles. (laughs) That was just a brief intro, a very brief part at the beginning of this book, and then we move on to the rest. But you know what? some reason I couldn't forget it. I think you just broke us. What's early in the podcast for that? That must be some sort of record. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> I have so many questions. I don't want answers. No. Oh no, someone say help. We're beyond that. Oh god, okay, I'm fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> the the yeah. whole first like page of this book just has these incredible weird okay. alien things and I'm not gonna read them all because well, I will. Hold on. As soon as we got into like cube roots and chess, I yeah. think I think my brain just white flag of surrender. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. So, larval stage. The other things that I love in isolation on this very first page are, as Rocky said, imaginary and trans real numbers. Larval stage. Um, There's a description of its skeletal jaw clicking impatiently against its upper lip. Quote. Lip is in quote marks. (laughs) It's, it's, It's a cantina scene, and I like that. <laughs> I I am not on enough drugs for this cantina scene. <laughs> oh, it's very it's very trippy. Much it's... more so than the rest of the book, even. I love how Han is the normal guy sitting in amongst this <laughs> whole thing where imaginary numbers are probably the most normal thing in the room. I really like that it's called the thorny toe. <laughs> Wow. I, I don't even want to know where it got that name from at that rate. <laughs> oh, hey, these people have uh, razor sharp mandibles. I hope they're not <laughs> nether mandibles that are razor sharp. That would be bad. <laughs> okay, we have got to stop talking about this. Otherwise, I'm going down a deep, dark hole of dirty jokes, and that would be bad. We were trying to not not end up with that. Either that or... <laughs> Too late. Or I'm just going to, like, break something laughing at the rate I'm going. Okay, yeah, now we officially have to stop reading things out of context because (laughs) there are more. We are not starting a Cards Against Humanity deck with some of the phrasing from this. We already have one, don't we? We do! Did Odie make one? Yeah! Yes! Okay, we gotta add nether mandibles. 
<laughs> oh man, I kind of forgot about that. I'm, I'm glad that exists. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm fine. Okay. Um, and the not, only not, actual <laughs> important part about this scene, I mean, all of these parts are extremely important, but the only plot <laughs> relevant part is that Droma is here in this cantina. Oh, yeah. Which we him. don't find out about until much later. Yes. Okay, I loved the reappearance of the Rin. That was pretty awesome. And like, oh, surprise, there's actually a decent Rin intelligence network of some sort, and it actually seems to function. All I want to say is, like, how was it, how did Han not, like, immediately figure out that the the chief Rin dude was was Droma as soon as he showed up as himself? Like, come on, Han, you're smarter than this. You would think, you would really think Han would have figured out, hey, I bet this might be my friend. (sighs) Way to go, Solo, way to go. Yeah. Failed a notice check, something like that. <sighs> oh well. So, uh, were we talking about things in any coherent order, or are we all long beyond that point? Rocky, oh. you're in charge this week. Yes. <laughs> we're past the opening scene, so your okay. outline is what we're going with after this. Awesome. Well, um, I'm going to start then with switching, like place-to-place constantly with no chapters. How we're going from Esfandia shenanigans to Imperials to Zanamaseka to Tahiri and her brain. And, like, I cannot keep track of it. It was actually really hard to, to read. It's the lack of chapters thing again. Like, it drives me nuts. Just it's put a chapter yeah. break in there. It won't kill you. It's, it would be a lot easier just for the sake of comprehension. Uh, are you trying to say that the the fight about the burblurp around the vergurlumerl was hard to comprehend? I'm sorry, Megan, I, I, didn't, I didn't quite get that. Can you say that one more time? <laughs> oh, the burblurp and the vergurlumerl? <laughs> Hold on, I think my cat's having a hairball. Oh, no, no, that was just that sound. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I also like the, the transcription, the word that you just like Q smashed in the notes, which looks like it's pronounced Murgle Murgle. That's a fun word. So, Honestly, I thought that was what it actually was because <laughs> I did not read this book very carefully. So uh, I think they're uh, adorable and their language is adorable. I, I think they're cute and I do have a mental image of just kind of adorable floaty space starfish for them which is kind of adorable. But yeah, I I gave up partway through on taking the name even marginally seriously. <laughs> I can't say it. I'm like I said, can I buy a vowel? <laughs> nope, I can't do it. It's the burblurp. There's too many hot bodies on his body now. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, um, Espondia shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, I was surprised to find a random Nogri around. Very surprised. And just when we were wondering whether we'd ever have a Nogri death count again. Yep, now we do. Now we do, sadly. And, you know, I was actually very surprised that our most likely candidate for being sketchy was not actually the traitor. Yeah, I was definitely expecting, I was expecting that Nogri to be the one who turned out to be the collaborator or traitor. I was not expecting it to be like entirely, entirely different. There were some fun reversals in this part. I think the weakest part was the fact that they were fighting over this relay because there was sort of a justification like the relay is the connection between the New Republic and the Chiss. And if it falls, the Yusan Vong will have like driven a wedge between the two. But that was weaker, I think, than the fact this was just a pretty extraordinary illustration of a really unique planet. It's this moving base that walks around this planet with this thick atmosphere that these star starfish or manta ray aliens swim around in and all of that is really great the other part of this section that i liked was that you get 
more Peleon and specifically him clashing with Jag because Jag wants specific instructions, whereas I just couldn't help but imagine them as a manager and an employee where Jag is kind of the new guy that wants to be sure he gets everything right. So he wants very specific instructions. And then Pelion is the type of manager who both trusts his people to do their thing right and also kind of wants them to get out of his hair. So Jag being forced to do a solo move was was kind of (laughs) I loved that part. Like, I I know I'm more... Poor Jag's brain breaking at surprise me. <laughs> yes. And then, okay, what would Jaina's solo do? And then I he does. Mean. And then the other Imperials are like, what the heck is he doing? And Pelion's like, he's surprising me. This is great. <laughs> well, he didn't say that part, but. Notes I wrote Pelion Villop Skypes the Yushan Bong commander to troll. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's Pelion. <laughs> and I. Throughout that entire scene, that was just like this. This is one of the many, many reasons why I love Pelion dearly. <laughs> like, he's so, so good at being such a foil for all of these fanatical Yuzhanbong. And he's just, yes, hi, I have called you specifically to annoy you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like he and Garmbella Bliss should never, ever team up. So you mean they should team up? I mean, yes, but it would go <laughs> so poorly for everyone else involved. Well, for everyone against them, obviously. I mean, I'm positive that fanfic has to exist somewhere out there, right? Rocky, no. That's not what I meant. <laughs> no, no. That's... <laughs> There are other kinds of fanfic. <laughs> From time to time, yes. <laughs> and, yeah. But, yes, that... I wish Esfandia had been built up a little bit more beforehand also. Well, I think that it should have been, been an, nice. another stop from the Bantam tour. <laughs> Where would we mm-hmm. have ended up? Counterpoint. No, wait. I, I was kidding. Busy. <laughs> I was... Kessel! They could have gone to Kessel, guys! That's what they missed. In less than 12 parsecs, though? (laughs) If you round down. This is... Yeah, I'm kind of glad we ended up somewhere new, but I wish it had been a little bit more built up in the first place. Maybe even just a scene similar to the stuff they did with Excal earlier in the series with an explanation of who these scientists had been before the battle started. That might have been good for context. Yeah. But... Then the like the surprise of the Burl Burp wouldn't be as much of a surprise. <laughs> yeah, true, true. But yeah, and somewhere, somewhere in here, I feel like this transitions really well into Tahiri. Yes, a lot of the other stuff I was going to say about this part is about. I think they did a good job of tying together Tahiri, Gina, and Jag, and all of them had significant development in this one. And then there was also the fact the whole theme of the New Republic and the Empire working together in the same way. Yeah, and the New Republic and the Empire. I'm, this, I'm not sure that's like huh? different, very different people being able to work together. Yeah. Like the New Republic and the Empire figuring out how to work together, having to pitch working together to the Empire in a way that makes sense to them. That was yeah, exactly. that was a big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that parallels what's going on with Tahiri and Rena. Yeah. That I have, yeah. I have a note here that says, um, are they two different people? And also so, okay, really the note is Tahiri and Rena's conversation continues to be sort of a conversation about dealing with trauma. At one point, Tahiri basically says, you aren't me, and I don't want to lose myself. And Rena says, neither do I. So they're both, th- those are um, generalizations. It's not the exact dialogue, but they both want to see, they will feel that they would lose themselves if they became something else. And this is where this is a metaphor for trauma becomes um, 
it's a little bit less effective because Rina is treated as a full person. Like, this is a moment where the series is saying, like, however Star Wars defines personhood, she is a person. And that is a different thing from if Tahiri was kind of working with her own inner demons, which she already has with the lizard beast and stuff. Those are different from what Rina is. And I thought that was interesting. I don't know if we have kind of a... There's no philosophical underpinning of, like, what does Star Wars consider a person? Like, what does the Force consider a person isn't really a relevant question. But they did establish Rena well as, like, she is her own thing. I think it's uncharted territory, really. Um, because I, I can't imagine there's been another time where someone like the Yuuzhan Vong has put a completely separate personality and, like, into someone else's head. Yeah, that deliberately putting a second personality in there. Yeah, because I think it's it's distinct from brainwashing, yeah. um, especially the way that they they show it here. If that makes sense. Yeah, it it's it's like it's not just like a brainwashing thing. It's something that went much deeper and much more fundamentally altering. Yeah, yeah, and it feels like yeah, it was interesting that it was. It did feel like a very different take on trauma. But mostly because the survivor's guilt seemed like it was the biggest theme of the trauma in there. Mm, yeah. Yeah, Tahiri really articulates and confronts how bad the survivor's guilt is for her and figuring out how how does she does she live through it. <laughs> I noted a part where Jaina says she feels the pain of Anakin's death, but she instantly knows it's Tahiri's fantasy and that's an exact quote she used the word fantasy and discards it which i thought was interesting because that kind of means that like the grief is a real thing obviously to hear has been grieving one way or the other but jaina the person for whom that's her brother like she had her own grief over anakin she can see to grief as a quote fantasy which i think means that to is kind of holding on too long or or has made it its own thing like it's the shadow beast that she was fighting and therefore Jaina isn't sucked into it because she isn't working within that same metaphorical structure as Tahiri it's also just a reason for this scene not to become about Jaina's feelings about Anakin's death but it struck me as an odd choice of words yeah that you mentioned it yeah yeah, yeah, now now that you mention it, definitely. Yeah, it does seem like, it almost feels like Jaina's feelings about Anakin's death and Tahiri's feelings are being treated as totally separate things instead of having a lot of overlap. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I'm not like, I don't think this was a horrible choice of words or or something that I feel like is like a crux the whole book turns on. I just thought it was weird. And maybe that's why. Maybe because I did expect more of Jaina's own feelings about Anakin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like Jaina did a slightly, I don't want to say better job because that's not the right term, but she she went through dealing with her trauma or at least that part of her trauma much sooner than Tahiri did. So I think they're, they're at different stages of grief. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, they both dealt with, yeah, they both dealt with the grief very differently and they're in very different spots with handling it in the first place. I generally liked Gina in this book. I think we, you have a note here and I have this same kind of feeling that regardless of my disinterest in Gina and Jag is like a ship that I actively care about. Their interaction was really cute in this yes. book where she um, kind of feels him saying that he loves her through the force. It was just kind of sweet. And yeah. just Jaina's reaction to that, like, while she's still in Tahiri's dream, really. And she's like, oh, Jack would never actually say that in life normally. But I Surprise! know it. <laughs> like, I know he loves me, but he would never actually say so. 
Oh, that's nice to hear. It's that was cute. Okay. <laughs> that I mean, actually, overall, I will say, as far as Jag's character development and Jana and Jag as a couple, the series has done a reasonable job with that, or the trilogy has done a reasonable job with that. It's, it's probably one of the things on that did. Me. I think it's one of the things that okay, low bar, but I think it's one of the things that this trilogy did better. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And it's, I can't really put my finger on where that transition happened, but I think you're right. It's very true. It does feel like by this point in the series, I've gone from deeply anti-Jaina Jag to, okay, I can see yeah, like for this fine. series. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Not later on, but that's again, ask me about that later on. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, it's... I was pleasantly surprised overall with this book, and just after Tahiri wakes up, and she's just like, okay, I I can figure this out. I can do this. <laughs> and her seeming switch to... I can very much see how this would be very disconcerting to everyone around her, how she's gone from being a complete mess where is she Jedi? Is she Yuzhan Vong? Subject to change without notice. And now she's just going, okay, I can do this. I'm both. And and her using all of the implanted Yuzhan Vong knowledge and memories so positively, well, that's not the word I'm looking for, but using it so very much for the benefit of her allies it does feel like a lot of a turning point for her and it's nice to see she deserves it the stuff with her like tearing open the scars was really was very intense it was very new jedi order that's the only thing I have to say about that. I think oh, that was so deeply New Jedi Order. <laughs> yeah, very, very New Jedi Order. <laughs> that there's the, some metaphor yeah. in there about you have to tear it all open before it can heal again, I guess. The the part of me that first read this book as a very, very angsty teenager appreciated that. And now I'm just like, wow, that is way over the top. I get it, but it's way over the top. Hmm. It fits the series. I was going to say, typical NJO. Yeah. <sighs> Something that I'm fine with reading, but would rather not see if they ever turned it into a movie. Yeah, I feel like this whole series is one of those. I'm kind of, kind of glad that this will probably likely never end up in film or TV format. <laughs> yeah. Now, and all of the little... Afterwards, all the little sprinkles of Yuzhan Vong words, phrases, things like that, because Tahiri's actually tapping into all that knowledge, and how she's trying to call up the ranks to get a hold of a commander, and the very way they communicate that scene of getting insulted and groveling and having to keep going on that for a while... I like those little bits of world building a lot. Yeah. This brings me back to what I've, I think I've said this a couple times about different books. The part where they get off of Yavin 4 and she talks to the commander and then she buries that and then she can't really use that again. And here is the... She's come full circle, kind of, where she can use the Yusun Vong knowledge again in a way that's more comfortable for her. And uh, I just think it's cool how easily she fell into that and how she was able to use it for her allies. Yeah. Yeah, it's it was definitely nice just to see those little little bits of it there. I I am so happy that Tahiri actually got some good like character development and some resolution to all of the crisis she's been in lately. For yeah. some reason, it it took me until this book to realize that Tahiri has some things in common with another, like, half-alien character who ended up, in an, like, inundated with knowledge about an alien species without her consent. So I guess that's Ooh. a type of mine. 
Eris from Destiny. Oh. Yeah. Huh. For some reason in my head, all this stuff that happened to Tahiri here happens. I, I had it in my head that it happened in the next book. Huh. Yeah, I feel, I also think I, my brain wants to remember a lot of things that happen in this book is happening in the next one, which makes me really wonder what happened in the next book. Oh, well, we find out next month. <laughs> yes. I know it's Tahiri doing cool stuff. It might be Zonomusica. I don't know. <laughs> Speaking of which. <laughs> yes. Another thing that is, like, weirdly understated in this trilogy, I know we talked before about how you can only read, like, certain hardback books, and, like, that was the theory, but that doesn't really hold up, because this, the third book in an unremarkable trilogy is where they find Zunamasiko, the thing that's supposed to be the weapon to end the war, and it's, oh, so before I go on my whole spiel, what, what, what did you two think about the introduction of it? I have a spiel, though. Uh, I don't really have one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I kind I thought it was kind of interesting. It's like, we found the thing. Oh, wait. We found the thing, but it's not automatically on our side. <laughs> hmm. I always found Zanamasika very beautiful. Some of the technology in it is one of my favorite, is like some of my favorite stuff in, in Star Wars overall. And therefore it was surprising to me how understated some of it was in this book. It's described as beautiful, but it's also immediately um, kind of trying to trick them because the planet itself doesn't know whether to trust the Jedi. And Luke is usually the point of view character who I latch onto. It's very easy for me to kind of put myself in his shoes. But in this book, he was not characterized in a way that I liked at all. Like, one of the first thing he does when he steps on the planet is to lie about something. Like, he doesn't, he's kind of standoffish to the Furrowins. There's not enough, like, wonder to him as, as there is when, like, what I think are the best Luke stories can convey wonder like that. And that's not really here, but I think it was when I was a teenager, when I was reading this for the first time, when I was reading Zanamasekat stuff later, it was just so shining and beautiful. And this reread, I was like, oh, I did a lot of that work myself. <laughs> like it is, the 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 description is um is evocative, but it's not stunning. And then... Luke's character consistently he goes from being kind of kind of um duplicious to lot from lying. I think I got that word correct. <laughs> um to being super standoffish and kind of suspicious. And I didn't really like any of that. But at the same time, I love the scenes of the airships. I love the way Seika appears as Anakin Skywalker, which is ridiculous and, and created the place for some ridiculous lines in this book. So I have very mixed feelings about it. Yeah. It's the description seemed really interesting, but it also seemed like there was a lot more going on than met the eye. <sighs> Sorry. And like, yeah, it was. It felt to me also like a great counterpoint between Zanama Sekut and Yuzhan Bong because we're so used to seeing this kind of bioengineered stuff in such horrible, malicious ways. And suddenly we're seeing, they're saying, oh yeah, uh, the, sh the airships, we grow them. And the cognitive dissonance almost in seeing a grown ship that is not horrifyingly and maliciously out to get you. Yeah, it definitely feels weird. Yeah, it's it feels unnatural weird and it's like eh, just there's something not quite right here. It's cool but there's something not quite right. Yeah. I think that part of why the Zonoma Sakat stuff this time around sort of irked me a little bit more is this was one of the, hey, let's tie it into the prequels, guys. Anakin and Obi-Wan <laughs> were here that one time. And 
that's just like one of my pet peeves about this era of Star Wars books. I just, yeah. Yeah. So that's all references. If you don't know, that's all reference to Rogue Planet, which is a prequel novel. Did that come out around the same time as this book or before uh, or after? I don't remember. 2003. Hold on. Let me check. Um, Google, 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 Google. It's taking forever. Really, Google? You're going to take this along now? And I don't have the book with me, so I can't check. Let's see. Um, I can try. But so you, so that didn't work for you at all. You just, you didn't want any prequel references. Oh, okay. So Rogue Planet is from 2000, and this is 2003. Oh, wow. Oh. It's actually been a while. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. But, huh. Yeah, this is surprising. May 2000, because it's about a much younger Anakin. So, huh. So now I'm curious about, like, was that the plan all along? I feel like it must have been. I want to know, were there people on message boards going... You know, when book one of Force Heretic came out, going, oh, I bet this is a reference to that thing in Rogue Planet. And other people going, nah, they're not going to connect it that way. And then... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. now I'm also huh. kind of curious. If anyone was around, like, the Force.net or something in 2000, let us know. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> please. <sighs> yeah, it's... It was an interesting experience being on Zanama Seikot and Luke and Jason's very different reactions to the planet itself offering yeah. them some aid. That, it felt very in character for Jason, especially. I think it felt in character because it was the culmination of the argument Luke and Jason have been having for uh, 19 books. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and I think many of us just fully expect that they will never stop having said argument. They'll just take a break from it from time to time. Sounds about right. I like the reappearance of some facsimile of Verger, of the appearance of Verger. I also... (laughs) There were two parts. Overall, I like the Anakin Skywalker thing. I thought it was fun. I like connections like that, especially about the Skywalkers themselves. But there were two parts. One where he uses the word wizard, and one where he's described as having blue orbs, where I was like, uh, oh, we can't no. do this. We can't do this. <laughs> yes, yes, I could not do that. <laughs> I'm fine with wizard, because that's so wizard, Annie. But yes. the orbs just takes me right to fanfic. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Especially <laughs> that that era of fanfic, like. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Was there any Star Wars fanfic, any fanfic at all in the early two thousands that did not talk about insert color here orbs? The answer is no. <laughs> we all now, did. It. We I'm remember like, some of us also, are old on the internet. People also knew that it was over the top though like at the same time you had parodies of it at the same time as it was happening everywhere (laughs) but here it is this is another example of where I think this book um, is better than the others in the trilogy because when it it at least shoots for the moon like it's not boring the parts where it fails the most are the parts where it sure did try to do something it just landed in a weird place when it tried to do it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's funny that they manage that i don't know just the the general reactions that the two of you had to this book compared to the other two is just amusing to me like yes like we're actually here and conscious and saying stuff that's not just pure snark and cruelty yeah <laughs> yeah we're desperate for something interesting yeah mm-hmm. i feel bad yes. because yeah. I know if people are reading along, like, you, the good advertising, it's not good advertising to be like, and today we're going to be discussing something really boring. But I hope, <laughs> <laughs> but I hope we've been able to a little bit point out where these books went wrong, 
uh, like for instance, the lack of chapters already kind of caused a momentum problem. And this is what say this is what they could have been. This is what they did well. This is yet another case of where we kind of I personally anyway forgot that such a momentous occasion happened in this book. So it was a moment of going like, oh, this meant a lot to me when I was younger and when I read them in whatever order when I was a teenager. So hopefully that's more interesting than the actual act of reading the whole the whole novel. I feel like we can come up with all sorts of all sorts of retrospective on this is what did work, this is what didn't. These are the things that were awesome in this reread. These are the things that what were we thinking when we first read this? <laughs> yeah. Trying to make the best of it, I guess. You pointed out the kidnapping and the plot twist, which I had forgotten. And I was definitely ready to believe that the Faroans had their own brand of extremists and that the message was kind of the, the extreme reaction is no, we shouldn't bring our whole planet into danger when we've already been through all these environmental catastrophes and all these challenges because of this living planet. And I was almost ready to go, that's actually a very understandable opinion for the Faroans to have because they've gone through all this difficult and bizarre stuff. And now the, you know, the Jedi people from outside, so Namasika, are coming to tell them to get involved with more dangerous and bizarre stuff. So it's actually pretty understandable. So I was kind of like, oh, it, it kind of says something like, politically that the violent ones are also the ones who are advocating for um kind of their own safety and not that that initially falls under like a clear metaphor for a political like conversation that's happening now but just I was like I felt for them more than I um thought I was supposed to so then when that kind of twist came and just like oh yeah they were they did a bad thing by basically frightening the Jedi and frightening Haggerty and frightening Danny, but they weren't actually the villains. It was all part of this kind of plan. Was a bit of a relief, and was also a way to introduce—not necessarily a good way, but a way to introduce what Seika itself feels about the situation. Yeah, I was very surprised at that plot twist. I totally did not remember it whatsoever, and because it just felt very plausible that it was part of the Faroans who did not want their planet jumping through space and getting involved in another war and making everyone's lives worse. It just seems so plausible. And then, oh, uh, surprise, actually. <laughs> Is that a sign of a well-done plot twist? Probably. I think so. I have a silly question. I was picturing Faroans as having striped hair. And that's not what they look like. They, but there's another Star Wars species that's like basically humanoid, but they have striped hair. Oh, Ferrario? Yeah, thank you. Crystal Star? Yeah, okay. Oh, no. (laughs) That's why the name is similar. At least the name is similar. Okay, we will never mention that again. No, bad. Very bad. (laughs) Go on. Where's that brain bleach? Again. (laughs) We're so far past that point here. I apologize for inadvertently and indirectly referencing the Crystal Star. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, the dissonance. Uh, um, yes. Dissonance and Seikot and... Oh, yeah, the last thing I had on my outline. Nominor is Nominoring his way back into trouble once again. I love that we've turned his name into a verb now, and it's just becoming a Vongcast thing. He nominors. Yes. Yes. It's, I don't know how else to deal with it. (laughs) There's really no other way to describe him, but not as nominoring. Yes. Yes. I feel like that's on, I feel like that's somewhere up with nominor nopes away and then grabbing that octopus gif. (laughs) <laughs> the only one in Star Wars who nopes away more than Nominor is Grievous in the Clone Wars, who contractually was not allowed to interact with Anakin Skywalker, so constantly had to run away. 
<laughs> run away, run away. <laughs> okay, this is completely off topic, but not really, but actually it is. My favorite thing since they've started putting the Clone War stuff into Battlefront is getting to play his Grievous because yes. you can spider scuttle. Yes. <laughs> right. And he has he, like the four different things that he can say, like almost all of them involve coughing and one of them is just him coughing. And it's great. I love everything about it. Oh my my brain, my brain just went straight to, so wait, does this mean Grievous gets to have a hairball in Battlefront? Basically, yes. Yes. You. That's his secret weapon, actually. He just, like, has a hairball and throws it at people. Ew. That's gross. I'm sorry. (laughs) Megan, you're taking us to some real nasty places tonight. (laughs) I I, I apologize. I won't mention the Crystal Star again. (laughs) I mean, I was going back to, I'm sorry, what was it? Nether Mandibles? (laughs) Yes. But also the Crystal Star. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so between Anakin Skywalker and Grievous, we're in a nice place in in 2002 right now. I'm enjoying this place that we're in, chronologically. I mean, help, why am I 12 again? What did Uh... I do to deserve this? (laughs) <laughs> okay, so I have more things to say about Nominor. Okay. All right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, Rocky, you have an interesting note here about Nominor's goals versus his followers' goals. I think his, um, the as is the theme with this book, his stuff was more interesting than in the previous two books. Um, part of the reason is because it was just more dramatic. Part of it is because I had a lot of questions. So one of the followers, I think, talks about that they're promised an afterlife that's different from what their version of the afterlife is, but they never go into detail about what that is. So I'm really wondering what do they think the Jedi afterlife is? And was that based on anything at all? Or did Nominor just go like, yeah, most religions promise an afterlife. So I'm going to give them one. Or do they actually know about force ghosts? I, I want to know these answers. Interesting. See, I also have this excellent mental image of Nominor reading like a Jedi philosophy for dummies book, trying to figure out just what exactly the Jedi believe so he can construct a proper heresy. Yes. <laughs> and then and there's Anakin Skywalker right there. We have proof of force ghosts with Anakin. So <laughs> he might know, but he also might not. Um, and then the whole Nominor having existential qualms. There's a moment that where he's like, am I going to do this for the rest of my life? Like, for the next 30 years, am I going to be the prophet moving from cave to cave? And I'll be honest, it kind of reminded me when I was at my previous job and I was like, do I really want to be doing this for the next 30 years? I just feel existential sadness at the thought of doing that, but I guess it's what I have to do. Turns out it wasn't what I have to do. But I identified with Nominor in this moment, and only this moment. <laughs> <laughs> yup, yup, yeah, the, what did I do to myself by becoming the prophet? Whoops. <laughs> like Nominor's very realization of hindsight being twenty twenty. <sighs> yeah, he's. Yeah, and he's starting to feel yeah. frustrated, I think. Yeah, I think he's realizing that being the head of a I feel like there's some good joke in here about a for-profit organization or something mm-hmm. yeah yeah I think he started to realize that maybe this profit thing isn't quite what he thought it was imagine that yeah I feel like that's oh. just a nominor in a nutshell the thing he thought he w- he knew what was going on not exactly what he expected <laughs> I feel like Nominor could actually be explained very well by a quote from current canon. This is not going to go the way you think. Yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I cannot even with some of these names in this book, but Nagalu, the deception priestess, I was hoping she was going to live a lot longer, okay? Mm. She was cool. And then, no, then we get a GoPro view of her horrible death. Uh, yep, the Villip GoPro. Yeah. Yeah, female Yuzen and Vong don't exactly get a chance to thrive. Seriously. It, 
Yeah, it does seem like the female Yuzhambong death rate is a little higher than the male death rate, and uh, I don't think I like that. Hmm. The early 2000s, kids. They were a great time. Yep. <sighs> yeah. That's about all I got. <laughs> I kind of would... I don't know if I would read this fanfic, but I have in my head the fanfic of the drama of just like ridiculous domestic drama between Naminor, Kunra, Shunmi, and Nagalu because they are just all they're all characters and they have their own like specialties and I feel like they would just like there could be some funny stuff with them from people that know how to write humor. But now now the group is gone and there's been there have been betrayals and the a little amount of possible of anything near friendship that Nominor could have had is gone. Yeah, back back before everyone decided to start backstabbing each other, that would have been a very entertaining fanfic. <sighs> Ugh, and now nah. Yep. Yeah, the growing pains of the heresy is definitely an interesting experience. Shimra has decided that they outlived their usefulness, I think. Do you think Shimra knew longer than he let on? I don't think Not too much longer. Okay. Yeah, wait, that Nagalu was... With the heretics or something? Yeah. That, that. Uh, uh, yeah, I... Nah. Okay. Based on how Shimra's been acting throughout all of this, it feels like if he had had suspicions earlier, then the horrible Villip GoPro death would have happened earlier. Hmm. Valid. Yeah, because, like, he's not really the type to le- let somebody live just for the purposes of, like, drawing it out, really. At least not lately. Seems like if someone even looks at you funny and says you might be a heretic, you are horrifyingly dead very fast. Do whatever you want, I'm super dead. (laughs) Sorry, apparently I'm still Hamiltoning. (sighs) What? Do we have next to read? What what is the what is prophet. going to be our um our escape from Force Heretic? The final, final prophecy. prophecy, the Tahiri oh, book. Man. Oh, which man. if I okay. if if my fuzzy little brain vaguely recalls, that was a pretty good one. Yeah, it's kind of like being back to the edge of victory books, except In Anakin's case, dead. <sighs> Cool. Yeah. We'll have our palate cleanser. That's good. That is very, very good. We're almost done, guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we are. Weird. Should we start on the listener questions? Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Alrighty, so question number one. I think I've answered this one already. According to Odie, did you find the constant switching between scenes a good narrative tool for building tension? Or annoying and confusing. Super annoying. Well, if anyone needs me, I'm going to be yelling about how annoying it was for the next, like, year. Counterpoint. I found it good. But only because there were a couple dramatic moments of, like, um, cinematic moments, such as when Jason answers Zonama Seacott's question, and then it immediately cuts to Luke answering the question. Um, There were some moments where the cuts were artistic, and because... The scenes were short enough that if I got bored with one of them, I could move on to the others and, like, some of the endless battles we had in the previous books. So, it's, like, with a caveat, I'm not saying I loved them, but I did like them well enough. I just wanted chapters. That's all I wanted. Yeah. Like, changing POV is fine, but just give me chapters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that it would have made it so much easier to follow things a lot because the constant switching without the chapter breaks just made it feel very overwhelming. Oh, hey, and another question I think we've answered already. 
another Odie question. How long has it been since the last recorded Nogri death? I have no idea. (laughs) This question made me laugh because I read it uh, and then went like, oh yeah, I don't even remember. And then I feel like it's such a plot twist that we kept waiting for one of Leia's Nogri to die. And it was not one of Leia's Nogri. It was a totally different person. (laughs) It was random Nogri. (laughs) Yes, rest in peace, Nicknar. Yep. Ooh, and our last question from Daniel. Is this payoff worth it for a trilogy? This book always felt so different from the other two. Yes, this book felt very different from the Um, other two. I'm not complaining about that part. (laughs) It shouldn't have been a trilogy. It should have been duology. Like, do the the hunt it down in the first book, and then the second Mm -hmm. book is this. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because it felt like... I think this illustrates the difference between a dramatic conclusion and payoff and those are two different things right because payoff starts with an emotional hook or a a question and Zanamaseka was brought up shortly before this trilogy if I remember correctly Destiny's Way yes there wasn't as much momentum in terms of going from the first book to the third and having that feel like a resolution within the series did it feel like a conclusion yes but i also think it was muted for reasons i can't i haven't quite parsed and was it good payoff for the trilogy i don't think the trilogy overall was structured well enough for payoff as a concept to exist in it really yeah i agree that's way more eloquent than i'm gonna manage tonight yeah that too (laughs) yeah my entire eloquence has long since been used up today. Try again tomorrow. <laughs> Honestly, I think I knew I wasn't going to have any the moment I started laughing hysterically at uh, Nether Vandibles. <laughs> um, that's about the point when I lost tonight and I never got it back. <laughs> See, t- yeah. speaking of payoff, there was the mention of drama, but the larval Rurian never came back. So this book is really never going to feel finished because... You never know what happened to him. Like And his mandibles. Yeah, yeah. How are his mandibles? We, we his will never know. <laughs> so this is the point at which we remind you again that we do not need any fan art of that. Or fanfic. <laughs> Please keep it to yourself. Especially the fan art. I don't want to see it. Yeah, yeah. We are traumatized enough by this. We don't need any more help. I don't know. I don't know what's up with, with you guys. I think it's just a perfectly innocent part of the body. It's unusual to us because we're not humans, but you know, Megan. for Burians, they just, it's what they have. Megan, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> <laughs> I just came out here to have a good time and I feel personally attacked right now by these nether mandibles. <laughs> doing uh, this until oh boy, either until I sneeze and can't talk anymore or until <laughs> Rocky continues with the the counters. Rocky, <laughs> save us. Rocky like falls off the chair crying <laughs> laughing. <laughs> the counters, Rocky, the counters. Can't count that high. You don't need to Wait, count. Do you need to read them. Do yes, because kept the imaginary numbers. You need to count okay. four, Rocky. What? Oh, maybe Two, also five. <laughs> 27. <laughs> now we're just shouting random numbers. Correct. <laughs> Look, we started this book with imaginary numbers. This can't get any weirder, oh, can it? You brought it back yes. around. Pay off for the trilogy. What? Okay, that was way more <laughs> profound than all of us combined are right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, I think we need to end this episode before we start talking about trans real numbers again, too. Yeah, I escaped algebra a long time ago. Or trans real, <laughs> trans real nether mandibles. <laughs> <laughs> that is now we have discovered the most perfect combination in the English language. Okay. Oh my god! I am lying on the floor. And my cat is staring at me right now. Okay. Honestly, I almost feel like we shouldn't tell people where to find us on social media after this point. Okay. Should or shouldn't. Look, if you've dealt with me this far, you can put up with me on social media. Please don't Um, talk about any of this at Blog Full of Words on Twitter. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, uh, Lady Darth Kytus on Twitter is, yeah, fine, just this weird all the time, just with a little bit more entertaining observations, and yeah. <laughs> and Chaos Bria on Twitter is like 90% Dragon Age, where I'm declaring <laughs> that girls don't want boys, girls just want to lead the Inquisition and date Lady Josephine. Yes. That's yes, it. I mean. That's my Twitter. Dragon Age. <laughs> Not yeah. trans real nether mandibles. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, Rocky, get us out of here. <laughs> Why are you relying on me to save us? Because you're the host this week. Because we arranged who was gonna be host and, and this time it's you. you I need the adultier adult, okay? Oh my god. Do you okay. want me to read it? In my so, so we have a total of four no gray deaths now. No, we're done. We have twenty Jedi deaths. Don't ask me about Kissinger references. I can't we're count that high. Rocky, we're past that. I don't care. Okay. <laughs> but whatever. This podcast is distributed as a part of the Tashi Station Network, and this podcast has been brought to you in part by your support on Patreon. If you like what you're here, you can subscribe to the Tashi Station Radio Mega Feed or to the Thronecast feeds on iTunes for more episodes and more Nether Mandibles. <laughs> <laughs> Join us next time when we read The Final Prophecy by Greg Keyes. You can read and tweet along with us by using the hashtag Bongcast. Though, thanks to Rocky, there's a decent chance it's not spoiler free. Thanks for listening! I'm crying. I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs>